Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Monday, October 23rd. I'm Hannah Floor. Petersburg's nursing home received top honors for its quality care at the Alaska Hospital and Healthcare Association Conference last month. Mountain Pacific is a nonprofit healthcare improvement organization that oversees medical facilities in four states. The organization conferred the 2023 Excellence in Quality Award to three nursing homes across Alaska. Petersburg Medical Center's long-term care unit was among those awardees. Mountain Pacific's criteria for this year's award included infection prevention and vaccination rates, as well as decreasing adverse drug effects and readmissions. The Mountain Pacific Award isn't the first honor PMC's long-term care unit received this year. According to data from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the facility got the highest possible rating on its most recent health inspection in February of this year. It also scored above state and national averages in flu and pneumonia prevention. But it fell behind on some other quality measures. A survey recorded that a quarter of PMC's long-term care residents had symptoms of depression, which is more than three times the statewide average. The percentages of residents who experience urinary tract infections and injuries from falling were also higher than the statewide average. Two other Alaska nursing homes received Mountain Pacific's Excellence in Quality Award. Utukanat Itnat in Kotzebue and Yukon Kuskokwim Elders Home in Bethel. Despite significantly greater numbers of fish, low market prices led to a disappointing commercial salmon season in the Lower Cook Inlet. Jamie Deep reports from Homer. Salmon fishing numbers skyrocketed this year in the Lower Cook Inlet, but the fishing market still made things challenging for people in the industry. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game reported over 3 million salmon caught commercially in the region this year, which is more than four times the amount caught last year. Pink salmon made up the majority of the fish and was more than six times the amount caught last year, exceeding all 10-year averages in the region. The Tucka Bay Lagoon hatchery had an especially robust year, with roughly 2.5 million pink salmon harvested that exceeded pre-season projections. However, the value of those fish tell a different story. Glenn Hollowell, the department's area management biologist for the Lower Cook Inlet, said that the market value for salmon dropped far below preseason estimates. It's been a very good year in terms of the number of fish coming back. However, due to global economic markets as they relate to salmon, prices have been well below their 10-year average. Consequently, your average permit holder has made half or even less of the 10-year average, which is very unusual. Even though this year's commercial harvest outnumbers the year before by nearly half a million fish, this year's commercial harvest value is $1.6 million, which is two-thirds of last year's value. Fisheries also fell short of the $4.6 million cost recovery goal for the second year in a row, making approximately $2.6 million. The global fishing market drove many of these shortfalls, affecting processors like OBI Seafoods. Wholesalers that typically purchase fish ahead of sales waited until their numbers were secured. As a company that runs on borrowed money, that meant paying additional interest while handling additional costs to store the fish. OBI Seafood's fleet manager Bob Nathanson said rising costs from paying competitive wages to fishers were met with resistance from wholesalers. The buyers just tell us a flat no. We will not pay more. We cannot pay more. And now they've slowed their purchases, not just refusing to accommodate any base price increase. The poor market prices left OBI with few choices. 
Towards the end of August, they decided to cut the salmon season short in Lower Cook Inlet. A few days later, they did the same in Prince William Sound. We would have either had to drop the price or discontinue processing. And we felt like the price was already pretty low and fishermen were not happy with the price already. We understood that. And so instead we elected to cease buying. Hollowell said there may be small changes to numbers from the department and that the annual management report typically released in the spring will have finalized data. In Homer, I'm Jamie Deep. Alaska's two Republican senators provided their yearly reports to the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention last Friday, though neither were physically present. Senator Lisa Murkowski addressed the Anchorage Convention live via Zoom from an Arctic conference in Iceland. She spoke to this year's convention theme, Our Ways of Life, by highlighting investments made to Alaska in the Federal Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and Inflation Reduction Act. We're building out water and sewer in villages. We're connecting our most remote communities to high-speed internet. We're fostering climate resilience in places like Nepakiak, in Huslia, and the Bering Strait region. The IHS sanitation program now has hundreds of projects underway in Alaska. Meanwhile, Senator Dan Sullivan provided a pre-recorded video address to AFN delegates. He said he couldn't attend the convention because he was part of a bipartisan group of senators headed to the Middle East to show support for Israel following this month's attacks by Hamas. Sullivan highlighted a recent bill he sponsored that was signed into law establishing a task force to address declines in salmon populations, including in the Yukon and Kuskokwim rivers. He said the task force will be made up of state, tribal, university, and federal officials, blending traditional knowledge and modern science. These huge declines are unacceptable. We need to get to the bottom of this in terms of the best minds, the best science, the best data. The AFN delegates are scheduled to hear remarks in person from Democratic Congresswoman Mary Paltola on Saturday afternoon. Delegates will also vote on a slate of resolutions, touching on topics ranging from subsistence rights to high rates of prison deaths among Alaska Natives. When Alaska's dogs go missing, they usually find their way home, but not always. This summer, an elderly Sitka dog became a local legend when she was found more than two months after disappearing from the woods behind her home. Meredith Reddick has a story of how Stella the Golden Retriever beat the odds not once, but twice against the Alaskan wilderness. Stella Mahoski looks like your typical golden retriever. At age 13, her muzzle is gray and her hips sway a little when she walks. She has a trove of stuffed toys and she likes getting chunks of Tillamook cheese as a treat. If you look close, you'll see a long scar across her belly and left leg. That's one of the only clues Stella gives about her 65 days lost in the wilderness this summer. On July 7 of this year, Stella was lounging on her back deck with her family, Sarah and Jerome Mahoski, and kids Kai and Quinn, when a sudden burst of fireworks sent Stella bolting into the woods. The family searched until dark, but they were certain Stella would be on the porch in the morning. The next day, though, they started to get worried, especially when a neighbor shared some ominous news. And they said, did you hear that there was a bear, that bear attacked a dog last night? We had the windows open in the back of the house, and my wife heard this altercation that sent chills up her spine. And basically, I don't think your dog could be alive. Still, the Mahoskies didn't give up hope. 
After Stella disappeared, Sarah and Jerome's friends started hiking the trails around where she went missing. Community members reported possible sightings, and the Mahoskies investigated every report. After two months of searching, Sarah remembers telling a friend, I feel like there's a 1% chance that she's out there, and so I cannot let go. In early September, they got one final call from Tim Eddy, a friend of Jerome's who was working at the quarry that day. And said, do you have a golden retriever? And he said, well, we did have a golden retriever. And he says, well, I think this is your golden retriever. Jerome called a friend to watch the kids, revved up the four-wheeler, and drove over. At first, he didn't see anything except an expanse of rock. She was on this cliffside, and it was basically this ash and rock that was the same exact color as her. She totally blended in. The fact that Tim saw her... I just kept saying to him, how, I don't, how how did you see her? Stella likely hadn't been at the rock pit long. There wasn't much in terms of food and water, but the Mahoskies say the sounds and smells of the quarry may have felt like home to Stella. She knows those sounds and those sounds are safe to her and they sound like, you know, sounds she's been around her entire life since she was four years old, right? Stella was down to 30 pounds, about half of her normal body weight. She had a wide gash across her left side. So we think she probably hunkered down for quite a while, just probably wasn't able to move a lot and knew that it needed to heal. And she must have, she obviously found a safe space because the fact that she was bleeding and wasn't Mm -hmm. found by that bear or another bear again is quite the miracle. Miracle is not an exaggeration. The hazards for pets lost in Alaska under these circumstances are myriad. But Stella has a knack for surviving against the odds. In 2015, not long after the Mahoskies adopted her, Stella rode to work with Jerome on a rainy August morning. Heavy rains triggered what now appear to be at least six landslides in Sitka Tuesday morning, prompting the city to declare a state of emergency. The series of landslides that day killed three people and rocked the Sitka community. Jerome narrowly escaped the landslide, but the truck with Stella inside was crushed. He assumed the worst. Then, just a few minutes before rescuers suspended their search due to unstable conditions... Rescuers did manage to pull a dog alive from the debris. Stella surviving a landslide in 2015 could be attributed to luck. Her recovery from the wild in 2023 was luck and something more. Sarah says Stella likely survived by foraging. She has always picked her own berries when we are out hiking. She loves dandelion roots. Stella was on a strict diet for the first 10 days. Now she is eating well and is up to 41 pounds eggs with breakfast and whatever she wants. Stella hasn't revealed much about what happened during her time away, but Sarah says she hasn't changed much. The only difference, she's a little hungrier than before. Do you want a piece of cheese? <laughs> Do you want another piece? <laughs> Reporting in Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick. A humpback whale was found dead, floating near Kodiak Island in late August. Federal and tribal workers brought the corpse to a nearby island to try to determine the cause of death. It was the first whale necropsy of the year, and biologists hope it could explain why local humpback populations seem to be shrinking. In Kodiak, Brian Venwa hopped on a boat with a team of scientists and has this report.
It was a crisp fall day in Kodiak as the crew left the harbor for Puffin Island, just a short boat ride from town. The whale's corpse was rocking in the high tide waves as scientists and techs prepared for the necropsy. Matt Van Dale is the natural resources director for the Shunak tribe in Kodiak. He says very few whales have been spotted around the community this summer. We get good calf counts, um, but... You know, this summer around Kodiak was very strange because usually you see many humpbacks around and they just, it seems like they just left. They went somewhere else, probably because there wasn't a lot of food around here, so they, they went to where there was food. This is the first whale necropsy in Alaska this year. Vandale says dozens of dead whales have been reported around the archipelago since January, but this is the first one they've been able to study. I mean, it's just so lucky that this was spotted and that we were able to actually lasso it and drag it in and then have everybody available at the drop of a hat. The crew immediately split into three teams. The dirty team worked with the dead whale directly, made incisions, the clean team collected samples and sharpened knives, and the semi-clean team took photos as well as walked supplies back and forth. Vandell says the humpback was likely a female subadult, weaned from her mother but still too young to mate. He says she probably lived a hard life. There's a bunch of divots along the abdomen, which are cookie-cutter shark bites. You can see healed wounds from previous encounters with orcas on the flippers. So this, uh, this whale definitely had been through a lot and survived a lot. Kathy Burek is a veterinary pathologist with Alaska Veterinary Pathology Services. She says the young whale still had its tongue, so it's unlikely the humpback was killed by a predator like an orca. She was more curious about some damage around her left eye that could have come from getting hit by a boat. It could be some torn tissue like uh, the jaw or the tongue. And then just above it, you can see where there's a very distinct kind of linear area of hemorrhage. So I think we were already getting a feel that there was some kind of trauma. Crews cut and measured blubber thickness, took samples of the baleen, and several photos and videos. Then the dirty team made its first cuts to the whale's organs. Vandale says the crew was lucky to have some wind. He says the smell of a rotting whale's organs is beyond description. How do you describe the smell? Whaley. <laughs> there's, there's really like nothing, nothing else. The crew took samples of the humpback's organs and worked the necropsy until about sunset when the tide started to rise. Tex noticed the whale had no food in her stomach and she was in poor health. Labs are currently backlogged for marine mammal necropsies, so full results from the samples won't be available for about a year. Vandale says their best guess for now is that the young humpback was likely too weak to get out of the way of a ship that struck her head. Riding a boat back to Kodiak, I'm Brian Vettel. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.